Welcome to the Five Elements Podcast. Welcome. This is our first episode, of course, so expect some turmoil. Um, <laughs> we're still figuring this shit out. Expect a lot of turmoil. So, Sammy, take us away. How so? What are we talking about today? Well, I thought that we would start out with a little brief introduction on who we are and how we got here. Fair. Yeah, so take it away. You me, oh, you're going to give it right back. Completely. Okay, cool. So I just sewered Sam because we didn't prepare that much and I just said take <laughs> it away. So now she just sewered me back. Uh, my name is Coach Dylan. If you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or wherever else we post, you probably know that. But I have been a personal trainer and strength coach for almost nine years. I started fresh out of high school. So I started working at a good life when I was 18 years old. It was It's funny. It was between that, which was like my dream, or pursuing HVAC, <laughs> which like I am so shit at uh, manual labor. I don't think I ever could have made it. But it was the safe decision. And I just said, fuck it, like, give it a shot. And back then it wasn't as normalized to make a career out of fitness. Um, but I was like, you know what, give it a shot. And it worked out pretty well. And I've been a coach in Toronto for the last six years. I moved here for a different job at a gym. What really got me into strength training was just being a being, being an athlete for so long. Um, but also almost like a stereotypical personal trainer. Like it's either you're a jock or you were a fat kid. And I was both. But <laughs> what really brought me to fitness was I lost a lot of weight when I was about 13, which we'll talk about. And if you've been a follower, you know about this story quite a bit. But I went on a pretty intense restrictive diet when I was 13 years old. And it shaped a lot of my views around my body, um, around food that was pretty toxic. But it's stuff I'm working through now. And there's a big part of our content and why we do what we do to help people through that stuff and bring a, a lens to fitness that's inclusive and also goal-oriented without facilitating even worse relationships with our body and food and overly restrictive kind of um, modalities that a lot of people fall into. And that was where I was for a long time. And so I lost about 60 pounds when I was 14. Um, and it crept back on slowly, but I started strength training, built some muscle, but I always kind of struggled with, uh, some binge eating related issues, heavy caloric restriction, um, a lot of food fears, you name it. And that's what pushed me to become a coach was I want to help people through that when I was 18. When I was 18, I didn't know any better. So I wasn't helping people nearly the degree that I, that I could have been, but I was, I was doing my best. Wait, what was the most toxic thing you said to a client? Oh, like. I shamed them when I was 18, 19, like I'd have clients who like they said they were going to do something and I had no grasp of human behavior, psychology, the psychology, the complexities of our relationships with food and the environments that we're in. So when a client, you know, wasn't compliant, I was very shame driven and I was like, you need to do that. You're better. Um, this isn't acceptable. And that's not at all my coaching strategy. But yeah, that's that's kind of how it started. And I progressed quite a bit through there. And I still get a little cringy thinking about it. Well, those were also the days um, where people did really think that shame and like hard-nosed discipline were the only way. Sam, that cat's got to go. <laughs> She's going to step on the thing. So the first time we tried to film this, actually, this, the cat actually stepped on the laptop and fucked up the whole recording. And then the second time we tried to film this, um, something happened with the audio. So this is our third shot, and this is months apart. I think we filmed the first one like two <laughs> months ago, so we yeah. really don't want the cat to ruin another one. It's really demotivating. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, so then I moved here and I've been, I was training at Equinox for five years and learned a lot there. And, you know, I'm kind of, Sam and I are doing our own thing now between coaching in person and also online coaching with clients uh, more in America, actually, which was interesting. Yeah. Um, and helping more people and putting out a lot of content around, um, you know, getting jacked, getting strong, getting confident in our bodies, but also not sacrificing our mental health and our relationships with our bodies along the way. And that's a, that's a good intro into where I'm at right now. So I'm going to pass it back to Sam and you can uh, take it away as well. Okay. So this definitely was not the first career that I ever thought I'd jump into. I, um, I started out as an interior designer because that was just you know, the field that my family was in, building houses, construction, all of that. So I did what was comfortable up until my father got very ill. Yeah. And watching him go through his uh, eight and a half year, whatever it was, long sickness was life changing in the worst way possible. Of course, I watched my father. I watched his health decline mainly due to what his doctors referred to as chronic lifestyle disease. Which I had never heard of. Yeah. I've never heard a doctor say that. It was like this horrible concoction of all of the things that he had done over the course of a lifetime that ended up contributing to his own demise. And a lot of it was out of his control in the end, but most of it was in his control in the beginning. Yeah. So seeing the impact that his choices had on his health kind of turned me into like the family rebel. I rebelled against what was comfortable and normal in my family, which was not taking care of yourself and became a little too obsessed with what was within my control. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we all have a habit of overcorrecting. So I went from not really taking care of myself, like my family story, and jumped right into overtraining, undereating, body dysmorphia, orthorexia. I went full swing in the other direction. Which I don't even, I haven't seen that. So it's weird when you talk about it because I've only seen you be where you at now. We've been together for almost two years and I still haven't seen that version of you. So it's it's always interesting when you talk about this because I'm like, wow, that seems so far removed from where you're actually at today. It was like, it was a form of rebelling It was the only way that I knew how to like cope with so many things that felt out of my control. So I was like, what control do I have? And in fostering all of that control around myself and my body and my food intake and my energy expenditure, I became abnormally obsessed, which is all too common in this industry. Yeah. I I mean, I had a similar thing where I was just obsessed with like clean eating and organic eating and putting I was like using fluoride free toothpaste I was brushing my teeth with charcoal yeah like yes my my teeth were never worse my dentist hated it like (laughs) at the end of the day it didn't work but yeah it was oh um, my god that's that stuff's I think a lot more common than we realize it is horribly common and I get that it's a fair reaction to seeing a parent lose major control over their health but it led me down a negative little spiral until I decided to pursue education and knowledge and science. And it was kind of the pursuit of understanding the areas in which I was going wrong and in like wanting to lean more on science that I kind of came full circle. And when I finally saw 
the benefits that like taking care of myself had on my health, I just wanted to share it with people. And I slowly kind of lost that love and passion for interior design. I still love it, but not to the same degree that I love um, helping people get to the same place that we're at. True. Sam and I both have like a savior complex. Yes. Like we both want to protect people from what we went through, which we also know, we've talked about this, they need to go through it too. (laughs) Like it's like, it's, it's a hard thing to reconcile with when you can't just tell someone, I mean, if there's any parents listening, they can't just tell your kids not to do things. They need to learn it on their own. Yes. And with clients, like it's a fine line between guiding them and coaching them and actually letting them go through, make mistakes and learn from them. So Brene Brown actually tried to show the point of difference between the two. And it's like, we can protect children from experiencing trauma. Yes. But we should never protect children from experiencing adversity. True. So, of course, we want to protect our clients from experiencing legitimate trauma by way of like eating disorders or, you know, reds, overtraining, all of that. But Or actual like physical trauma of an injury. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) there's that. But, I mean, we want to protect them from the trauma, not the adversity. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's been a long little journey. For both of us. True. So many highs and lows. More lows than highs, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not uh. Like if I look at the the whole body in totality, like a lot of lows. The last couple of of years have been a lot of highs. Yeah. But I would be lying if I didn't say the first six years of my fitness journey and like, not my fitness journey. Actually, I guess my fitness journey started when I was like 14. Yeah. But my career, the first six years was a lot of... um, a lot of dogma, mm-hmm. a lot of coaching mistakes, and more the mistake to learn ratio was too high. <laughs> I wasn't learning from them at the same rate that I do now, I think. Yeah. Um, I was a lot more lost. I, and also working for a gym, you get a little attached. Not a little. I got quite attached to the culture of that specific corporation. Yeah. So I wanted to climb that ladder. I wanted to be good within within the parameters of that job and that gym and their ethos. Um, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't, if I truly reflect, I wasn't as in line with them as I truly was. It's just, it was a good place to be. They gave me a lot of security. Like that gym showed me things that I never knew existed. Like I, it was a wealthier gym in downtown Toronto and I got exposed to people that I never would have been exposed to. Yeah. And I'm talking like high minds because it was on Bay street. So it was, I mean, I've trained people who have billion dollar companies that they started on their own. I would never have had access to people like that. And I've learned so much from them. Definitely. And I'm so grateful for my former employer for that and the opportunities. But as we were deciding to leave, there was like a a philosophy issue where I wasn't in line with them anymore. And I wanted to do my own thing. And I didn't want to have to answer to the regulations of how they do things that I didn't quite agree with. And I was just a regular trainer. And so was Sam. We couldn't change that. And man, they're doing well. They they have always been doing well. They'll continue to. And I hope them nothing with the best. But doing your own thing, um, not answering to the demands of an employer or a boss that you don't necessarily agree with is pretty liberating. And <laughs> that has actually helped us grow a lot in the content we make, the coaching practices we have, get that cut off the table. <laughs> and, and it's been a really like transformative process for us. And that's where like the highs have started to peak. Definitely. And I mean, it's nice to attack it from our lens because of course, a lot of the time people see fitness through the lens of bodies and 
I feel like it's only been sort of a thing in recent years where people are looking at it through the lens of, for sure, as a society, we know better. Like, how-to articles are all over the place. Everybody knows technically what to do when it comes to health and fitness and taking good care of themselves. We know to move. We know that we need to eat well. And yet, knowing better doesn't seem to translate to doing better. 100%. So it's in understanding the why behind that and human psychology and behavioral psychology that you can kind of find a way to make it translate better to the individual than just hammering down the message of, but you know better than that. You know better. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's frustrating. Um, So let's move on to the next thing, which was the five elements themselves, I believe. Okay. So when it comes to the topics of conversation that we'll probably touch on on this podcast, obviously we come at it from like the five elements perspective, which is that like, it's not enough to just attack your fitness journey through the actual (laughs) fitness perspective. (laughs) Like, unfortunately, it's a lifestyle. Unfortunately, it's not as simple as like, oh, just eat a little bit better and everything will fall into place or just sleep a little bit more and everything will fall into place. We look at the body through this kind of like jagged compartmentalization of it rather than looking at it as a whole. Yeah. So in discussing the five elements, it was kind of a way for us to look at the human body again as a whole organism rather than compartmentalizing it into its little components. Yeah. So five elements, take it away. So the five elements. So to be completely bluntly honest, this was Sam's company name when as as an interior designer. It was a five elements design. And when we started our own business, it wasn't like we were just sitting around and had this like amazing idea that it came to us like, oh, there are five elements to fitness. It just made a lot of sense to start. Well, it comes from like the five elements are a feng shui concept. So it's interesting because I started off with like, how do I feng shui a home? And if you kind of transplace that to like the human body, it's like, how do I feng shui the human body? How do I make sure that everything is working synergistically? Yeah. So I just wanted to like, because like sometimes companies will have this like lie of this mythological how how the company formed, right? Yes. And it's like, honestly, I was like, this your business, old business name makes a lot of sense. And like, there are five kind of key things that we touch on in our coaching anyway, so let's just do it. And it was, um, first was actually the way we oriented it. And we yeah, we don't probably don't talk about this enough on our social media. It's like the actual five elements per se. Yeah. But like the way we oriented it when we made our site and we kind of think about coaching is like, so number one is goal setting. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is like, Goals are just very important in life in general. Without a goal, a lot of the things you do is just motion, right? Well, what direction are you going in? Exactly. Why are you doing what you're doing? And it's it's hard to continue on without any sort any sort of goal. And they don't have to be these these dream based goals, but you should have a direction of where you're going. And then secondary secondary was mindset. So we kind of went almost psychology first or human mind first for the reason of like. If we know your goals and what mindset you're in, then the training, nutrition, recovery can be tailored around that as opposed to like giving someone a training program in theory that reaches their goals, but we don't know their mindset. Well, it's like top down versus bottom up, right? And it's like a mix, right? Where top down, if you don't know what that means, it'd be like programming first. Like you just, Mm -hmm. you do the shit. Doesn't matter who you are. 
you execute. And bottom up would be like, who are you? That's the number one thing. And I'll devise a plan and almost reactionary to who you are. Yeah. There's a blend of both where it's like, hey, there's some things we got to execute on, but it should match what you're able to execute on. Well, it's the difference between having the perfect program and trying to find a way to twist and contort the human to fit within those parameters versus making the program fit the human. Yeah. And like, so top down would be perfect program in theory. Bottom up could be as simple as how are you feeling today? We'll just base that off of today. So like that can be an issue, obviously, because Mm -hmm. humans have like dynamic feelings that move in polarities. Like some days you're feeling like ass. Some days you're feeling amazing. And if you base all of your training off of that, there's probably days where you're just (laughs) training way too hard because you feel good. And there's days you're training way too low because you're feeling shitty. And it's kind of a blend of that. But so from mindset, if we understand a client's mindset better, we can make a better program. So if a client is like, I I just got a new client last mm-hmm. week and he needs to feel like he got crushed. Okay. Even if it's maybe not the most appropriate, perfect thing, if he doesn't feel that, he will not continue <laughs> because he needs he needs that feedback yeah. and he needs a lot of feedback. And he even said, he's like, if you give me feedback, that's not, <laughs> what did he say? He's like, if it's all good, I know you're fucking lying, oh right? My God. So he needs some criticism. And some people, they can't handle it well. And some people, if you don't criticize them, they lose respect for you. And mm-hmm. that's like the understanding the mindset of a client, like what do they need? And then training, right? So mm-hmm. once you know that, you can devise a training program. Sam and I mostly do strength and conditioning. Like yeah. we're pretty strength-based. Not that cardio and all that kind of stuff isn't as useful. It's just not as much as what we do. We can help clients with it. But if you were going to work with us, like you're going to work with us because you want to get strong. You want to develop physical skills. Yes. You want to build muscle, things of those nature. And then uh, you talk about nutrition and recovery, Sam. So with nutrition, I mean, how do I even start discussing nutrition? That's such a... We go very broad because we're going to dive deeper in another podcast. So I think with nutrition, it's firstly, the biggest component is education because we need to sort of help clients break through that nutrition dogma, stigma, whatever you want to call it. Um, There is so much misinformation and disinformation running rampantly on social media. And by the time a client comes to us, they have likely been deeply affected by it. Yeah. But here's a lot of our clients actually now, the newer ones we've gotten, yeah, th- basically through our social medias, they have been reading our content and they're more mm-hmm. more aware than the clients that we were getting before that were completely fresh, right? So yeah. we're all subject to like misinformation and disinformation, but you follow the right people on social media and like read the right articles and you're going to be more immune to it than the average person. Absolutely. And like the goal is to just teach our clients so that they feel empowered to make the choices that they want to make to reach their goals. The goal is never to shove a belief system down our clients' throats when it comes to nutrition. If a client really wants to go keto and they're passionate about it, great. We're going to give them the tools and the education to make sure that they're doing so appropriately. I had a client do that recently. Yeah. It wasn't keto. It was more low carb, high fat. Yeah. Did I think it was the best decision based on of her training? Probably not because she trains pretty hard. Yeah. Making carbs a little more useful. There was a couple things that were important. She had friends who were doing it, which mm-hmm. means she wasn't alone in it. And she one had thing, a community. Exactly. And one thing, and if any vegans out there would know this, I've been vegan and Sam was vegan for years. <laughs> Being vegan in a non-vegan community is really hard because you're always having to do something different and plan way more than the average person. One of my clients, I asked her because she was going to go keto. She had friends who were doing it. 
um, to support her through it. And she knew exactly what she was doing. And she was meal prepping and it worked. And then she's like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And then that was fine. She moved on to something else. But that was an example where someone could do a little bit more of an alternative diet, but it was supported by people around her. She knew exactly what she was doing and she wasn't just like diving headfirst into a new ideology without knowing how to execute. And that's that's a huge thing. Yeah. She didn't just jump right on to the next best thing. Yeah. With nutrition, it's always about like tailoring the approach to the individual. Like we have clients who love tracking macros and they'll probably do it forever. We have clients yeah. who um, wanted to transition to more of an intuitive eating style approach. And we just always want to make sure that we're never leaving a client without the tools to make an empowered choice. Yep. And that they're doing something that's sustainable for them and that feels good for them and that we're not ever going to teach somebody to like contribute to a negative relationship with food because that's something we see constantly. Yeah. I mean, like it, you talked about a sustainability and adherence or maybe the the founding principle of our of our nutrition coaching. As if assuming a client is looking for sustained and results. If you were and we don't really coach people who do physique competition, but if someone were to do that, you're not looking for adherence, you're looking for maximal results, or if they're an athlete, et cetera. But for the average person that we train and coach, they're looking to lose weight and keep it off, or build muscle and keep it, or do something. And that means adherence and sustainability needs to be at the bottom of that pyramid. And that's like the foundation of your nutrition protocol. A lot of times people get caught up in the um the like the finer details yes. while overlooking the foundation. The so basics. as if if you were building a house, you didn't even have like the found the foundational structure wasn't there, but you were nitpicking the interior design. Absolutely. You still gotta have a house first before you start fussing over the pillows, essentially. A hundred percent. And as people who have like gone through the dogmatic and restrictive and have come out the other side, it's so nice to be able to pass on something so positive to our clients and yeah. just like help them tackle those unhealthy relationships with food. Yeah, 100%. Truly. Yeah. So on our website, there's an application to like apply for coaching with us. And one of the questions in the application, which is a short one, but it's describe your relationship with food. And some people are like, I've never been asked that. Yeah. And that's always interesting. The The most common answer is probably complicated. Yeah. Um, but in general, the fact that some people have never been asked is uh, a little bit eye opening that, you know, we're probably in an echo chamber where we think this, these discussions are normal. I don't think they are in the mainstream. Not at all. No, I don't think so. Not at all. I don't think it's something my parents ever considered. Like I reflect back on my upbringing and on the behavior that was role modeled to me because as children, you very much learn through role modeling. My parents did not role model healthy relationships with food. They didn't have them. Yep. And I didn't realize that until I was much older upon like reflection. But you learn that. You really do adopt those behaviors. And as an adult, it might, you know, kind of strike a chord when you finally realize, oh, hey, so every time I feel upset or uncomfortable or I've had a really bad day, the first thing I do is head straight for McDonald's. Yeah. Where did that come from? Yeah, that's, I'm speaking for myself here. I've always ignored my upbringing in the formation of who I am today, right? I, look, I would look at it very superficially. In reality, it was usually linked to the role modeling I saw, the environment that I was shaped in, that was driving a lot of my behavior. And some of my behavior, I don't know if anyone out there relates to this. Sometimes it's perplexing. Like, how the <laughs> why the fuck did I do that? Yeah. And like, how did, how did this happen again? And 
until I started to kind of like, I went to therapy and I'm still in therapy at the moment. And Sam is highly educated in this stuff from her own experience talking with her. My sister was also very experienced with this stuff too. So I, I think I have a abnormal amount of emotional intelligence and maturity around me to help me <laughs> with this stuff for a dude who's 27. But at the same time, like being more aware of that has really uh, helped me understand why people do what they do, why I was doing what I was doing. And that that's made me a better coach because, you know, we, back to what I was saying at the start, like mm -hmm. there's a stereotypical fat kid uh, who becomes a trainer. Yes. That person is going to typically be more empathetic than the jock who becomes a trainer. Absolutely. If anyone's a basketball fan out there, like there was this thing about Mike, Michael Jordan where he would be someone, he, he, he would be a shit basketball coach because he was so excellent. He yeah. was phenomenal. And all he knew in his professional career was excellence. And if all you know is excellence, your tolerance for anything below it is low and your empathy for anything below it is low. And it makes you an exceptional athlete. It doesn't necessarily make you an exceptional coach. No. And it always comes back to like, what are the driving forces behind your behavior? Yeah. My story was a little bit different. My story involves rebellion, yeah. which sounds insane, but you were rebelling against your environment. I was rebelling against my family. So living like a military sergeant felt good. It yeah. felt rewarding. Yeah. It, um, it drove my behavior. And if I just brought that like white knuckle level of discipline to all of my clients, how well would they really do? Now, isn't that actually like cliche? Why? Like a kid in the, um, in, in American TV, I, in movies, I see this, or like the kid who grew up in a chaotic environment joins the military. Yeah. So it depends, right? Because and the person who grows up in the military family is just like free spirit and doing whatever the fuck they want kind of thing. Sometimes. Yeah. It depends on what drives you more, right? Like the thing that... Oh, yeah, that's a good point. The thing that drove me was the rebelling. To not be like them. To never be like them. Yeah, okay, okay, yes. that makes sense. Yes, not yeah. just to not be like them, but to, <laughs> to be the never. Yeah, to be the opposite. <laughs> yes. Okay. I wanted to live and breathe it, which, you know, I also have a grandfather who was literally an army brat. True. So I had that behavior role model to me from somebody close in within my sphere and it felt good it felt it felt really rewarding to exhibit a level of control that my yeah. direct uh caregivers could never fathom well you actually have the you had the interesting thing there well you had the contrast you saw your green your grandfather was a successful man yes um super loving man yeah. but this guy was this guy is stubborn and has work ethic up the wazoo yeah um and you could contrast that to where your parents were Definitely. And be like, I would rather be like Jacob than like my yeah. parents. Well, he was my hero. Yeah. My parents were not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was so very So not different. being like that, you see, it, uh, as a kid, I find you get very dichotomous. You're like, yeah. if I'm not like my grandpa, then I'll be like my mom or my dad. I'll be like my grandpa. There's no, there's no, there's no gray there for like a, yeah. No, but it did make sense to sort of enter an industry that was laden with discipline and <laughs> yeah. white knuckling your way through life. And who cares? Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Like, why are you complaining? Just do it. Yeah. Um, this is not a Nike advertisement, by the way. No, but it was, that's the way that this industry, like, that's the backbone of yeah. it. Instead of wondering, like, why aren't people doing it? Or why does that person have such a hard time maybe, you know, eating a lot of food past 9 p.m.? 
we just go stop doing it. Well, that's actually the lazy answer. It is very lazy. Because it's very, and Sam and I talk about this, it's a lot, there's like bliss in the ignorance of just saying, oh, well, they lack discipline. And I mean, on some level, yes. There is is a lack of willpower to some degree there, but you genuinely don't understand how much discipline that person might have to exhibit just to not gain two pounds a week. I mean... And you as an individual might have to show very minimal discipline to maintain a healthy body weight. So like you're always trying to compare apples to oranges when you're looking at someone else and saying Mm -hmm. they lack discipline. We all lack discipline somewhere in our lives and we all need differing amounts of discipline for at varying degrees. And for some people, it's just really easy for them to, well, I'll give an example. I have a client who struggles with his weight. And it's going to need, for him, he'll need to put more effort into maintaining his weight than the average person will for the rest of his life, right? But also, this man is the most friendly, socially confident person I've ever met. And we were having a conversation one time and I was like, listen, I understand this because I'm struggling. I'm someone who struggles with my weight too, so I need to put more effort into it, I think, than the average person. But this person, I was like, dude, you're in like the 1% of your social confidence. Mm-hmm. I don't think you understand. You walk into a room and you have the confidence to meet everyone, remember their name, and you make people feel good. Mm-hmm. I don't think you understand that person who struggles with their weight might have crippling anxiety at the idea of doing what you just did in that room. He definitely. We all have shit that we are really good at and takes minimal effort and we excel at. And we all have shit that takes maximal effort just to be subpar at. We're very reactionary by nature, yeah. right? So the conversation for me doesn't even really go to, well, how much discipline did you have? It's yeah. more it's more so like what mattered more in that moment? Like you had a terrible day. You come True. home from work. The last thing you want to do is eat a salad. What mattered more? You know what I mean? Did it matter more for you to feel better in that moment and eat ice cream and cookies and pizza and whatever? Yeah. Or did it matter more for you to like work towards your goals in that moment? one far outweighs the other. So it's like in learning the human experience and in learning what drives and pushes people from one direction to another, for everyone, it's going to be so, so, so different. Yeah. So different. And yeah, you just touched on it. Like that's like a mental health thing because some people, like that example that Samantha just used where someone comes home and it's like they had a horrible day and it's like what mattered more. Some people have that most days of their lives. Absolutely. And they're they're in they're they're struggling with their mental health. The idea of telling that person like in that moment, dude, just go for a run. Sure that might help, to be honest. Like and I've been there where it has helped, but the idea that like the bigger issue there is that at, at the end of the day every day, you're in that position where you're deeply unfulfilled and unhappy. Yes. Like that is a bigger issue in that moment than saying that person lacks discipline and needs to put the fork down. Like that's not helpful advice. <laughs> Generally fucking insulting, but also you're not helping that person. No. If they're in that level of needing to soothe and cope, if you replace if you get food out of the equation, they're going to replace it with something else that's powerfully soothing. soothing yes. Right? Some people do it with alcohol, drugs, you name it. There's, you can turn anything into a drug. Yeah, you can. And I mean, I think the biggest lesson in one's fitness journey is in figuring out who they are and what makes them work the way that they do. 100%. Um, that was my biggest takeaway on mine. I'm sure that was your biggest takeaway on yours. The first part you just said. Yeah. Like, like who I was deeply, like that helped. Yeah. Because then I was like, okay. I'm not a bodybuilder. 
Yeah. I love bodybuilding, but I'm not a competitive bodybuilder. I don't need to live the competitive bodybuilding lifestyle. And I was I was horribly doing it for so long because I wasn't actually lean. I was just restricting heavily and then binging heavily. And to not be in that place has been like very liberating. Yeah. And for me, it was sort of, you know, a life, a lifelong journey of trying to make myself fit within the tiny, perfect parameters of being the perfect woman. Yeah. And for many women, that involves being perfectly thin and small enough and light enough and pretty enough. Yep. And I thought that if I could just squeeze and contort myself into fitting into this very tiny little box, that I'd finally find self-worth or happiness or belonging. And instead, I found orthorexia <laughs> and um, misery yeah. because the feeling – I wasn't after – a body, I was after a feeling. Yeah. And that's and one you of thought the body would give the feeling. And it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. I've been there too. Sam's like started with that as pretty you actually wrote an article on the website about it when and, and went through deep detail. And like you kind of paint the picture of, you know, what the 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 it was a the body weight she was striving for for so long. She like stepped on the scale, did a double take, stepped on it again. It was like she surpassed her weight goal and reflected thinking why aren't my problems gone? Yeah. And I've been there too when I lost that 60 pounds. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, I thought that if I achieved this, I'd be fulfilled. Yes. And I wasn't. And I've been that with money or like career, like you get a promotion. You're like, oh, once I get that promotion, I'll be fulfilled. But we often do that with our bodies. Yeah. We yeah. think if I just had the body of my dreams, I would finally be enough. Yeah. In reality, if you achieve that body, you'll just expect to just keep that body. Like you'll get, I don't want to say fatigued by it, but you'll just get normalized to it. Yeah. Because the one thing I've been, I've known being a coach for so long, you, I'm, I've been around some shredded motherfuckers. Like, yeah. And they still hate their body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've also like been around rich people and they still don't love their lives. Like some people do, some don't. Money obviously fucking matters. Um, but I've been around people who have more money than they know what to do with. And it's not like all of their problems are gone. And they'll tell you that. They're like, yeah, like it's it's cool. You'd rather have too much money than not enough. Yeah. But to to act like it's going to be the savior is, isn't true. Just like reaching a certain body fat percentage as well is not going to be the ultimate fulfillment that you may think it is. Yeah. It's yeah. like the old adage, like you'll never be strong enough, no. uh, thin enough, rich enough. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. never enough. Because the problem was you were chasing the external and the chasing, issue was internal. Yeah. You were chasing internal fulfillment by external achievement or yes. validation. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's so, get into recovery. Oh my God. That, that was all nutrition. That, that was even... all nutrition. <laughs> Who knows? Um, <laughs> recovery. The most underappreciated. Sammy loves recovery. I love recovery. Like nobody cares about recovery and recovery is equally as important as your output. Yeah. You are only as good as what you can recover from. Yeah. <laughs> like talk about why recovery is so important to you. I mean, as through your story kind of. Okay. I know that the most common message you probably see out there is eat less and move more. So I ate less and I moved more and like a military sergeant, I'm damn good at it. True. Um, Sam's hit her macros on the fucking dot. I swear for like two years. Always. I'm not tracking right now, but well, when, when I do, do, you hit the absolutely. I'm not a macros guy. I'm a calories and protein guy. Sam's a macros person. 
for herself, not always for her clients because it's not that's very rigid. But for herself, she hits her macros to the dot. I am the most compliant client anyone will ever military, have. Yes. Military sergeant level. And I had lunch cake last Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a total yeah. fucking dick. No, I'm not. I'm the opposite. Um, if you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to make sure that it's done like perfectly well. Yeah. So when you tell someone with that type A rigid personality to eat less and move more, they are going to eat way less and they are going to move way more. So not to mention Sam was training uphill cycling at the moment. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I think that's important to say is there is a level of discomfort and physical pain in uphill cycling. <laughs> Climbing mountains. That you grow to love discomfort. Yes. And there is a abundant amount of discomfort in eating less and moving more repeatedly. Absolutely. Like you make friends with hunger. You get used to it. Yeah. You get used to discomfort. And as a cyclist, you get used to your legs being so overtaken by lactic acid. Lactic acid. It's like they're yep. about to burn off. Absolutely. And the more uncomfortable that I felt, the more validation I received that I was Feedback. doing it right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the deeper I got into things, the less I ate, the more I moved. Rest days weren't a thing for me. Like even... A Sunday was a recovery ride plus 20,000 steps. So I was constantly moving and I was constantly getting nowhere. Yeah. Oh my God, I yeah. was spinning in circles. It's not like this was rewarding from a physique perspective. My body wasn't changing. I wasn't building yeah. muscle. I wasn't like looking the way I wanted to or feeling the way I wanted to. But I was getting the validation that I was doing something. Yeah. Um, and that was enough. And that drove me for a long time. Yeah. And that's not a... Not it's not to, unique. I was going to say, that was actually the, literally the word I was going to use. It's yeah. not a unique no. situation. A lot of people are in that where they're like training so much. I have women who literally say to me, I know that what I'm doing isn't working, but I can't seem to stop. Control. Yeah. Yeah. You feel really in control Spinning of your situation, your, your body, all of it. Even if the outcome is negative... You know it, right? It's predictable. Yeah. We like predictable. True. If you change your process, the outcome becomes unpredictable, right? Yeah. You haven't experienced it for yourself yet, so you don't know if it'll work. And a lot of us suffer from what I like to refer to as special unicorn syndrome. Yep. Yes. Or special snowflake syndrome where you think, oh, it'll work for him and her and her and her and her, but God knows it'll never work for me. You do that. Oh, yeah. I'm the most. All the time. I'm the most special snowflake. Yeah. <laughs> so science becomes your best friend. 100%. Yes. And I, it validates. You're like, I love evidence for that reason because I'm like, I don't, I don't always trust myself. No. I need to get better at trusting myself. You do. But it's very easy within this fitness space to not trust yourself when you've like believed so many you lies yeah. and been so vulnerable to it that like knowledge is power in that field and like, the evidence on recovery only supports mm -hmm. the opposite of what Sam's talking about. Yes. Is like actually having rest days, not active recovery days where <laughs> you go train at a lighter intensity, but rest days where like you walk and you just live normal life, but you don't train at all. And 
honestly, I can't train any more than five days a week. Yeah. I train four on average. I'm currently doing five for like a bench specialization program. But in general, four days is capped. And I have no issue seeing results on four because I can train hard on the four. If I train six, seven days a week, I might be doing- You're watering it down. I might be doing the same amount of volume as what Mm -hmm. I do in four because my performance drops so much and my ability to adapt and recover goes down. So that's one of our things about recovery. Like we don't talk about it too much. People don't care. People don't want to hear about recovery. recovery. But to be honest, like in working with my coach, he kind of made me promise him that I would take two rest days because he was like, you're not going to get anywhere. And if you just want to keep spinning your wheels, I don't know why you would hire me. Yeah, he sounded like an awesome coach. Yeah, and he, he was. He, and this is like a part of the actual coaching art, not the science art, is Sam was unwilling to train less than five days a week, correct? Mm-hmm. So he made a fifth day a dog shit day. It yeah, was like it was just arms. accessories. It was arms, just arms and shoulders. Abs, maybe. Gonna, it's gonna facilitate much less fatigue yeah. than like a just squat me... day, etc. Yeah. So sometimes you gotta do that with people, and like this is not even specific to fitness coaching. Mm-hmm. If you work at a company and you have employees, we all have this where you gotta give people what they want, but while in a giving way, them what they need. Yes, precisely. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about next. Ah. Uh, what do you mean? What, what we're going to expect from our listeners in this podcast. You mean what our listeners can expect? Yeah, we don't expect any of you guys, anything from you guys. No, I mean, one thing we would love, uh, we would love to do like live Q&As True. at some point. So all of your questions are so valuable to us because we love answering them. And we love seeing like where you're at, what you're thinking about, what's popular on social media, True. like what's running rampant. We love like talking about that kind of stuff and Q&As are amazing for that because, again, we want to know what people are listening are actually thinking. Mm-hmm. And there's no stupid questions, right? There is like – because whatever you're asking is what you're feeling. And if yeah. you're a listener and if you're a follower of the podcast or our social medias or a client, we want to know because you can't help what you don't know. And a lot of people are feel ashamed to ask a question. And the deeper you get into this industry, the more, um, I don't know, I guess we become like normalized to the information and knowledge that we have. So we kind of don't realize that like, you know, yesterday I saw a girl walking wearing a waist trainer leaving I the gym. I forget that shit. And I forget, like I forget that there are still people who think like that you know, you can't eat carbs past 8 p.m. or wearing a waist trainer will yield a specific result. And we can only help you with what we know you're struggling with, right? So we'll definitely do some live Q&As. We're going to interview some people within the field and some people, you know, who are sort of on the outskirts. Or even clients. Might have some clients on here to talk about their experiences. Definitely. Um, Jordan's side does that, and I think it's phenomenal. Um, We'll be doing some solo episodes because Dylan and I both have our own little specialties within fitness. So I kind of focus more on women's health and a little bit more on like behavioral psychology. Yep. I guess. And Dylan's a little more into the research. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're on the email list, like every Friday I send out a, like a research review kind of email, um, I make some more content about it. I'm like, I find it very interesting. Dylan's more of the body and I'm more of the mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I might do um, some solo podcast with some like practical advice or even, I might even talk about like some interesting research. Um, Cause some people like that stuff. And Sam's going to probably do some solo episodes, which talks about um, things that are more relevant to females. 
like amenorrhea. Which is the differences in training as a woman. Amenorrhea is losing your cycle. Yes. Is it due to training or is it just in general losing your cycle at a at an age where you should not be losing it? Amenorrhea is the broader category of a missing period. And then from there, you break it down. Okay. So there's yeah. primary, secondary, hypothalamic, and yeah. Yeah. So we'll be we'll doing some solo episodes on that. And in general, on the podcast, we're going to be talking about strength, hypertrophy, nutrition to support that, recovery, everything we kind of talked about today with the five elements, and then just some interviews, some solo pods. We're going to aim to do one a week. That's the goal for now, but yeah, you know, we'll see. One that I'm actually really excited for is we intend to interview one of my best friends who's a researcher because she studies addiction. And we hear a lot about how people feel that they may perhaps be addicted to food or addicted to sugar. So it'll be interesting to interview and hear her perspective. And another one we have is a friend who is... (laughs) I don't know. You should say his name because I'm not going to say his name, but he's going to do it. I've offered to pay him to write articles. He's the smartest man I know in the fitness industry that I personally know. Brilliant mind. But he's he's more humble than he is smart. And that's actually a problem, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Because I'm like, dude, you got to have your voice out there. But he's got a brilliant mind for understanding the human body and biomechanics. And wow, would he be fun to interview? Yeah. So, yeah, we look forward to sort of sharing the knowledge that we have and the perspective that we see fitness through because it is a little bit different to what I see out there and to what I hear a lot of on social media. And that's what we hope to do. So actually look out because we're going to be sending out on our – so if you don't follow us on Instagram already – Sam is just at Five Elements Coaching, and I am at Coach underscore Dylan DaCosta. Because um, we're going to ask our audiences, our, our followers, hey, we're going to be doing a Q&A this week on our podcast. Send us some questions. And that's probably the easiest way to, to find us, to be honest. And then we'll use those questions to like fuel a lot of episodes. And I think it's also helpful to sort of share people's stories because... Sure. I know that a lot of women message me and a lot of people message you too saying the same thing that like I see so much of myself through your experience that it's helped me look at mine differently. I don't think I get as much. Yeah. And the reason is, and this is why I think it's important, I talk about some shit that young dudes don't typically talk about. As if eating disorders don't affect men. And I fucking know they do. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. They're they rampant in um, this industry. A lot of binge eating I see with dudes. Binge eating restriction and for men, body dysmorphia is a little bit different, right? It's not just about, for women, it's about being thin. For men, it's about being muscular enough. Lean enough, muscular enough, enough, not being scrawny, but being, yeah, it's as, I don't have the data on it, but it's in my experience as common as as I've seen with men as women. It is. Just in passing in conversations because there's like, once you get aware and attuned to this stuff, there's enough comments. You're like, ooh. It was a little bit of a red flag. It's less talked about because as a society, it's okay for women to have feelings and to be vulnerable and the just, societal just, expectation it is, of- but it isn't. It is, but it isn't. Not in the workplace. No. Not around guys. But societal <laughs> expectations that are placed yeah. on women are very different than the ones that are placed on men True. because the expectations of men is to be stoic. 
to hide your emotions, to hide your feelings. Like you having any form of disordered eating could be perceived as weakness or body dysmorphia. That's weakness. So men feel far less inclined to open up about it or talk about it or be straight up about it when the reality is they experience it almost as often as women do. Yeah. I'd be surprised if there was a huge gap in application. Um, and people people discuss there's definitely a huge gap, but I would be surprised if like an anonymous poll showed that like women were significantly more likely to have some sort of disordered eating. I actually made a comment on Dr. Nadolsky's post saying that shame was not the driving force of behavior change. And one guy responded back with um, someone made a comment about how he was, and I quote, fat. And it sent him into like a body shame spiral and the body dysmorphia that he now lives with and carries is the impetus for him staying lean. So, so the outcome, if you view positive. it, it's like utilitarian, right? It's yeah. like the outcome was positive, but I'd argue that it wasn't. It wasn't. Like, That's yeah. shame. He yeah. lives with this lingering sense of shame for his body that it is never going to be good enough. Yeah. So I definitely do see it as common in men as I do in women. It actually, that reminds me of something like Dr. Eric Helms said, where it was, he has a really helpful way of articulating this because he's a natural bodybuilding which Mm -hmm. he admits bodybuilding is inherently like you're walking into body dysmorphia just by being in the sport yes and he's talking about with being lean and having your self-worth depend on it and he phrased a question that i fucking loved and then i paraphrased in a post where it was like you know is your your self-worth dependent on you being lean or is your self-view high enough that you are investing in yourself Mm-hmm. And by that means scheduling your workouts, preparing meals, um, having goals that you're attached to. There's nothing wrong with losing weight and keeping it off. Mm-hmm. It becomes more problematic when your self-worth is tied to you keeping it off as opposed to you thinking, you know what, I am, I'm worth investing in and I'm mm-hmm. worth spending the time to get stronger and prepare my meals. But if it's all contingent on a digital number on the scale, that's where it's way more problematic. It's the difference between being progress driven and process driven, right? So that's something that we will obviously be talking about way too much because we are obsessed with um, not achieving your goals because that's good and great, but you can achieve a goal any which way. It's the process that you focus on to achieve them. Totally. That is always so much more important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's it for today. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to us ramble on about. Oh, we're going to be fucking rambling. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry for you in advance. <laughs> um, we have a hard time st- keeping a train of thought. We really do. Even our personal conversations. Oh, completely. This actually just felt like a personal conversation. I know. It wasn't much different. Other than the fact that we were addressing like these microphones sometimes. Yeah. Um, in general, this kind of just was like a normal conversation with Sam and I, which is kind rewarding. of what we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. We just want you guys to sit back and feel like you're at the dinner table with us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what our dinner conversations often sound <laughs> it actually like. Is. Jesus. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So thanks for joining us around the table. And I think so. We'll be back. Cheers. Bye.